Oh, my friends, today, today, I'm going to introduce you to a new friend of mine. Uh, maybe you know him. His name's Tyler Sitt. He's a pastor, a church planter of New City Church here in Minneapolis, a church that focuses on environmental justice and centering marginalized voices. Uh, when I talked with him, it was like I was exploding with excitement. Tyler is full of compassion, full of grace, uh, a deeply theological mind and pastoral heart. And he just wrote a book called Staying Awake. And it's, uh, it's, a, it's a manifesto for peacemakers in 2021 and beyond. And I just, I am so, it's incredible. I don't want to say anything else about it. I just want you to listen to this conversation and then go out and get this book by Tyler Sitt called Staying Awake, The Gospel for Changemakers. Enjoy the conversation, my friends. Folks, I'm here with the one and only Tyler Sitt. Tyler, how are you? <laughs> I'm so glad that we can be talking to each other. I know. We really should be in person, though. Come on. You know, yeah, I, I mean, mean yeah. this is crazy. We're, we're, <laughs> we're getting there. It's dumb that we still have to be virtual, but uh, we will meet in person at some point soon. One day. Yeah, we are. I'll bring snacks. Snacks it'll are be, good. It'll be a beautiful thing. Snacks are, I'll bring drinks. Okay. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, um, okay, for people who don't know you, how do you how do you describe yourself? Like who you are, what you do, um, what you care about, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So um, my name is Tyler Sitt. I use he, him pronouns. And I'm the pastor of New City Church in South Minneapolis, a multiracial community. I am also the uh, author of a book that came out pretty recently, Staying Awake, The Gospel for Changemakers, which uh, explores kind of Christianity as it applies to the lives of the people at New City Church, specifically centering the lives of queer people of color. So, uh, and, uh, you know, in my spare time, I like to walk in nature and stuff. So <laughs> depending on when you meet me, all of those uh, apply. All those things could be happening. Well, we'll get into your book because I started reading it and how it starts is is like the most surprise. I had no idea, you know, so I just open it up and then I'm reading a comic book, you know, I'm like, yeah. oh my gosh, this is so amazing and cool. So we will get into the book uh, for sure. And obviously then we'll get into New City um, because okay. in many ways, I feel like that's a lot of what the book is about. Um, but, it, totally. but it goes way beyond that too. Um, so like, can you tell me about your, um, like your spiritual background, how you grew up, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, born and raised United Methodist in Minnesota. Okay. Minnesota natives. Shout out to the Minnesotans out there. (laughs) And, uh, yeah. So born and raised United Methodist. When I was an undergrad, I started an LGBTQ plus ministry. And I also felt kind of this, um, contemplative hunger that I I wasn't really seeing a Christian space to be able to exercise that on campus. I went to Boston University. So so I also started sitting meditation at the Cambridge Zen Center and uh, kind of dabbling in in Zen thought would be a theme of my life for the next, you know, subsequent like seven years or so. Uh, I lived in Ecuador and studied with some indigenous, uh, I should say I encountered some indigenous folks there. I am not an expert for sure. I lived in um, the Holy Land and and uh, had roommates who were both Israelis and Palestinians, which was wow. very interesting. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the key to international peace, I found out, is just having enough Nutella for everyone <laughs> and then... Turns out a lot, and, and everyone needs to take out the trash. And then uh, a lot of peace is possible with that. Uh, and then, um, yeah, so seminary uh, uh, was like snapped back to Christianity after kind of like doing a lot of interfaith work, 
But uh, my last semester of seminary, I lived with the Dalai Lama's Tibetan Buddhist community in Dharamsala, India. Um, and it was from that experience in Tizay, I talk about this in my book a little bit, um, that I really was grateful for Buddhism, for being a contemplative space when I needed it. And I found uh, a, a rooted home in Jesus and, mm. and in the Christian practice that really felt like the heart song of my life. Wow. So, uh, so then, yeah, church planted, and then here we are. <laughs> the next day, I was on this podcast. Well, so. <laughs> it, it, it just happened, you know, and you, you were in Holy Land last week and Ecuador yeah. on Wednesday. Everything I just described yeah. was one month. It was, it was just all of that. Yeah. You know, that's, that's so hilarious. Um, but it actually leads to a question like, obviously, that is a, that is a long journey. And I hear in your journey, um, well, I wonder uh, what propelled you to all those places and to all the situations to learn from different, um, different teachers and from different peers, like what have you identified the, the propelling force behind that in, in, mm. inside of you? I mean, just a small, if you question. were to ask, yeah, if you were to ask me at the time, I would have said, um, wanderlust yeah. and a deep frustration with kind of my world and my reality and knowing that there must be other things out there that that um that are part of like the experience of the world and and what it means to live on this planet and um and i think all of that is true but if you were to ask me now i would say um grace is what oh, propelled yeah. me like yeah. uh, uh united methodists have this thing where we talk about prevenient grace the grace that comes before and it's uh god's grace when we feel spiritual frustration because that's what drives us into the night you yeah. know like yeah. it's, it's yep. the grace that's like i am yearning for something more and and it's that hunger that directs us like a compass toward God. Mm. So um, I, I now see that there was a lot of grace in all of that. But if you were to ask me at the time, I would have been a little angstier about it, I think. Gosh, you know, there's this midrash I just I just read about, about, you know, that story where God only shows Moses God's back, you know? Yeah. And the midrashic interpretation was sort of like, that's God saying, you can only see what's happening in your life uh, in after it's done, like after it's already mm. happened in the future, like you can't see. And if you could see what's happening while it's happening and what motivated you, you'd, you'd probably try to engineer it, you know? Right. Right. And then therefore screw it up. So I, I like how you say that, um, that even though what you thought was propelling you was one thing and it maybe was, uh, what it, what was underneath that or hidden, hidden within it, was this idea of, um, you know, the grace of even the grace of angst, right? The grace of frustration, the grace, of, yeah. the grace of water, all those things, all those things belong. I love that. I love I, that. Yeah, I really appreciate that midrash. And it, it just, I don't know, if I saw, especially after the year that we've just had yeah. in Minneapolis, if I saw what God had in store, I probs would bolt yeah. and go run the other direction you know like sometimes it's like we only see god in retrospect because if we really saw what god was up to we'd be like oh there's no way yeah <laughs> i'm gonna sign up for that no. but uh but then we're we're in it and it's like this is what this is what the calling was yeah and, and i had no idea but i'm so glad i'm here oh yes i had no idea what the calling was but I'm so glad I'm here. That is, that is poignant. Um, well, you, you know, just pick one or two or three things, but, uh, how has it been for you, uh, to be, you know, American Asian man, uh, queer in Minneapolis and a pastor in this last year? <laughs> like, I, I, oh, I just yeah. feel so layered, right? <laughs> but like, and I know that's yeah. a huge question. I, I'll just keep peppering you with yeah, huge yeah, questions. Yeah. Just answer whatever. And if you don't like the question, just answer a different answer. But, um, but I am interested, actually, Tyler. How have you experienced this year as you? 
Yeah. I, um, so I used to live, uh, the apartment that I lived in before this apartment was the closest residence to 38th in Chicago to George Floyd square. Uh, that is on that corner. So that was like right there. And then, uh, and then, you know, about a year after I moved away from there, uh, this happened. And so one of the articles that I wrote coming out of this really more to process things than to, uh, to get anything out was, um, for any pastors out there who are like, these types of demonstrations are things that happen over there or out there, or this is separate from us. Just, uh, just buckle up and prepare (laughs) because, uh, we're in an age where, a lot of like international scale crises can happen at your doorstep. Yep. And part of our work as a church is to not be kind of like preparationists who are like constantly seeing the worst case scenario, but just saying like, Hey, uh, the reason why we pray is because there might come a time when uh, a black man is murdered by police at our doorstep. And we're going to have to respond faithfully as a community. And prayer is one of the re- one of the ways that we prepare for that, like those types of just really practical on the ground stuff, I think is um, part of the part of the new dimension that this year has shown me in faith. Like, yeah, if our faith doesn't matter to uh, what happened in this past year, then it probably isn't authentically the gospel. Yeah. <laughs> like the gospel is supposed to matter to folks. This is Howard Thurman. Our, the gospel is supposed to matter to folks whose backs are against the wall. So. Uh, uh, I've, I've just seen more and more how the practice of Christianity was always supposed to be applied, always supposed to be shaping society, uh, and shaping our inner life so that we can show up to these things better. Yes. Yes. It's like this. And I, I seem to hear many people trying to bifurcate those two things, like the rich inner life of, of prayer and spiritual practice and, activism and demonstration and i always you know feel like oh i i those things have to flow together and don't we see those things flowing together in the prophets and in other places and so it's interesting to hear you say that and and, and really as i've been reading through your book i know every every church is quirky and you know failing and weird as well as glorious and beautiful and awesome but quirky failing yeah. weird become a christian today <laughs> become a christian. quirky failing and weird <laughs> but that's, as i read through new city like and i want to just get i'm going to name the nine practices is that what you guys call them practices yeah, great mm-hmm. and then i'd love for you to you don't need to talk about each one but like how did you come to that framework and how do you think about that as a person and a practitioner as a pastor so these are the nine um well first of all i love that you call worship love training i just love that i i was like oh my goodness yes 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 (laughs) worship is love training um so anyway by the way uh folks staying awake the gospel for change makers tyler sit what this book is called, but the nine uh, practices that Tyler writes about not, not now I'm talking meta all of a sudden, not, and not to you. I'm talking to the, to the <laughs> listeners, listeners, listen listeners, uh, assembly, assembly. <laughs> okay. Here, here are the nine worship, centering, marginalized voices, prayer, groups, Sabbath, leadership development, practicing generosity, and, uh, putting, placing it all together putting it all together, placing it all together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Putting it all together. Put, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, however you want to do it, walk me through how you like develop, discovered those practices. And, and by the way, I love the putting it all together too. Cause that's, you know, it's, it's like, that's a whole thing. That is a whole thing in and of itself. It's beautiful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, that putting it all together, a chapter came from largely because, you know, I don't know if you do any work with the Enneagram, but in any group, there's kind of some achievers around yeah. and achievers love the, the, the check, the check boxes like, yep, I did it. Yep. I accomplished it. Yep. Done, 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 done. Uh, and God bless achievers. They're grateful for them. And like the whole point isn't to, uh, 
accomplish these individual these nine practices individually the whole point is that you're making kind of like a these nine practices are braided together yeah. and they're supposed to all kind of feed into each other into that uh i kind of to go back to the earlier in the conversation into the inward and outward transformation mm-hmm. into both kind of the the worship and soul prayer personal intimate work as well as like the social systemic and public work uh, our practice is supposed to kind of like strengthen us as we're going into both of those. And one of the things I like to say with folks in New City is that um, worship without justice is self-serving and justice without worship is self-destructive. Uh, like we need justice because if if we worship a God of justice and then go out into this burning world and we don't do anything about it, <laughs> then who, who is really being honored here? Who's really being loved here? Right. But if we attend to these intentionally difficult social justice problems, like really these horrific circumstances without some type of interiority, some type of like love training, then, uh, then we we lose it all, and and we see that happen again and again amongst activist circles in South Minneapolis. Yep. So, um, so all of these practices are trying to uh, guide people on the inner and outward transformation. And really, like I just looked around at my community. I um, I'm a big like take a fistful of spaghetti, throw it at the wall, and see what sticks kind of guy. Yeah, yeah. So like over even. Th- um, New City launched a weekly worship service uh, in 2017. So even in those few years, I've thrown a lot of random stuff <laughs> at the community. A lot of different practices, a lot of different experiments, lots of trying lots of different things, dabbling lots of different things. And these nine were kind of the nine that surfaced yeah. as the ones that somehow were continuing to make a difference in people's lives. Mm-hmm. And materially changing how people showed up to their job, to their family life, to their social justice work in a way that directed the city of Minneapolis towards what we call the kingdom of God. Yeah. So uh, so was, once I kind of did some community listening around that, it, it became clear that these would be the nine. I love that, that, that they emerged out of your life together versus being described and prescribed beforehand and then you know stamped on top of the community Um, right right, right. that that seems i mean what i what little i know of you but what i'm gaining from you even by this conversation and by your book is that you are very intentional that way to have conversation and outcome flow out of life together versus you know, from the mind of Tyler Sit to the people. <laughs> right. But I also know oh, that man. that's challenging, right? I mean, that, that, that takes patience and that takes humility. So how, how did you, dis, how did you, was that always inside of you? Did you have to learn that that way? Is that natural to you? Yeah. And yeah, my heart, I just want to do a shout out to any of the listeners who are in seminary right now. Yeah. Uh, I love seminary. Some of my best friends are uh, from seminary. Some of my most foundational theological views are from seminary. But, you know, you know, in seminary, we get these theology books that's like systematic theology, chapter one, God, chapter two, hell, chapter three, uh, the church. And um, no one who doesn't already identify as Christian wants to come to a place and hear chapter one, God, chapter two, hell. Right. Right. So like just off the bat, there's a lot of code switching and interpretation that pastors are like, okay, I just spent three, maybe more years reading literally thousands of pages of books that talked about things in a particular way that was helpful in that particular setting. And now Mm -hmm like time to like relearn a local dialect and completely shift things around. Yeah. And one of the things that I heard from my community is, um, and uh, I should mention like a lot of my uh, community is Gen Z or millennials. And so like lots of aspiration, lots of kind of entrepreneurial dreamer energy, um, lots of ideals. And, um, and the idea of 
having a Christianity that wasn't practice based mm -hmm. was completely a non-starter. Yeah. <laughs> like it had to be like, so tell me what Christians do to make the thing that I'm living in right now any different than anything else. Because if if the actions don't reflect the values, then don't even waste my time with a seminary textbook yeah. or with a you know a, a magic scroll with a creed on it or yeah. whatever. <laughs> like that's, that's, so I mean, I'm I'm sure you've experienced that as well. Yeah. Well, I'm just reflecting too, though. Yes, definitely. I also think, God, in my context, honestly, I think I. You know, we have millennials and Gen X, probably, mm -hmm. and just so many post-evangelicals who are still so deconstructing. And so there's lots of triggers. And so my code switching, and it's not even code switching for me because I have the same triggers, you know, but like, um, <laughs> you know, it's it's recontextualizing the Bible because it's been so weaponized, you know. And so like even I would say it's definitely true for me as a pastor in my context that you know that it has to flow out in love for self god and other and your theology is bullshit to lack of, for, for lack of a better term if mm -hmm. it doesn't do that you know if it doesn't think about that mm -hmm. it but but i think yeah <laughs> I, it's it's just very like i'm almost reflecting like man are we so are we too introspective and not practiced enough because it's almost like therapy. Like we're, we're just, our church is a little bit of th therapy. Like, can we get over slowly and not fast? You know, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The, the deep pain from the church. Just so many of my folks have such deep pain from church, you know? Oh, and, yeah. And so, and maybe me too. I, I don't know. Maybe that's what <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, um, yeah. Trauma doesn't just go away. Right? So I, I really... I, I, what you're saying is really resonant, and um, I don't preach on this <laughs> because, um, for obvious reasons, as you'll see. But like in my head, there's there's folks at New City who are kind of um, so burned out or harmed or like truly abused yes. from the church that it, they're kind of in like hospital space yes. where it's like you are in a bed you got an IV in you and your one job is to rest yep. and to kind of process through what happened. And that's the right move yep. because of the abuse that you experienced. And then there are other folks in our community who are a little bit more in like a physical therapy yep. place where yep. it's like, I could use an assist and I need some direction, mm -hmm. but I'm now like the hatred in my heart to Christianity has cooled enough yeah, yeah. that I kind of want to like practice this new thing and start following the gospel. Yeah. And, uh, and so like shaping ministry with those audiences in mind has been huge for new city, yeah. like naming like, Hey, there are some folks who are only in a deconstructive space mm -hmm. and that's exactly where they need to be. Mm -hmm. And then there are other folks who aren't and, and we're holding both of those because sometimes folks who are on their healing journey stay immobilized too long, stay in the hospital bed too long. Yes. And then they start to like atrophy and forget what is on the other side yes. of it too. So like, yeah. I, I, have you seen that as well? You just, you just said that so well. And I think it's tricky as pastors, right. To, to gently notice and, invite you know and you, you know because versus pressure i mean there's no hey get up you know <laughs> we're not gonna say that you know right um, <laughs> yeah you know stop making up wheel them over uh, to a window yeah. and <laughs> yeah. slam them out yeah, yeah right um but i think you're totally <laughs> right like and, and now we're talking about what, what what we try to do or what i try to do is normalize progressing along the stages of faith development. Like it's mm. normal to feel a sense of confusion mm. when you are in the wilderness, you've left Egypt you're in the wilderness, you're not in the promised land yet. And you're going to keep going through that cycle. And so mm. just where are you and what do you need? So if you're in the wilderness, you need something very different than what you need when you're just coming out of Egypt. And, and, mm. you know, to use that, that sort of gorgeous meta narrative of, 
Hebrew scriptures, but um, love that. Yeah, so yeah, I'm I'm just saying I totally agree with you. There, there's there mm-hmm. is a and there is a a deconstructing too long. I mean, there really is. Like towards that yeah. becomes sort of the where you get all your energy, and that typically I've noticed in myself and others. Like when you stay there too long, you there there you just get angrier and angrier versus. Yes. gentler and gentler, you know, and I don't, at times anger can move me to a productive place for sure. But as yeah. a general fuel, you know, it's probably not going to get me to the healthiest place, you know? Yeah. Burning, yeah. You know? Yeah. Right. Like there's only so much that your just body can handle if you're just running off of anger all the time. And, and I think that I mean, just to ride the Exodus metaphor a little bit more, like there's a point where if if you uh, if you don't stop deconstructing and start constructing, your identity becomes anti-Pharaoh and not pro-promised land. Yes, yes. And yes. that is strangely enough, uh, that centers the Pharaoh again. And yes. it, it gives power back to the system of oppression because it's constantly deriving an identity from it. Oh, oh, ah, yes. Come on, <laughs> preach. You're so right though. And anything can become the Pharaoh in that, in that scenario, yeah. you yes. know, and, oh, and for sure. centering yep. that gives it more energy. Oh, so like, like how do you see your journey as a person and even like Minneapolis, like, the journey of centering marginalized voices. How is that? How do you embark on that in a way that's true, authentic, real? Um, yeah. I don't know. Like, uh, yeah. How do you, how do you, yeah. how's your journey been like with that? Cause I know that's when your main, one of the main things, one of the main nine. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. And I think, of the people who come to New City Church, a lot of them come because of a commitment to centering marginalized yeah. voices. So it's definitely something that we continue to not only preach about, but to try to practice as best as we can. Um, I just know as a queer person, as an Asian person, um, I've gone to churches before that were like, we are LGBTQ affirming. And by that, I mean, you can sit in a chair, in a room and listen to someone, to a straight person talk. And that is, we've reached the pinnacle. There we are, we've arrived. We're we're affirming, Uh, no one is actively attacking you. And therefore uh, we've accomplished our, we even have a rainbow flag out front (laughs) and that's what being affirming me. It's like, yeah, um, well, first of all, I wanna honor that for some folks flying a rainbow flag and for creating even that type of safety has taken generations of struggle to get to. So I'm not minimizing that at all. I just know that um, as a preacher, as a facilitator of of faith-based spaces, that my gayness, like what I've experienced from being gay has so enriched and deepened my understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus and a lover of God that it's like there's there's something that I learned from being marginalized for my sexual orientation that that I feel like is is valuable to the group mm. and kind of how that kind of tessellates out is like well maybe that means that God moves on the margins of society and when we listen to folks who are experiencing marginalization we actually understand all of us understand Jesus deeper and more intimately. And so it's not just about like a commitment to non-harm, which is great, but it's also saying like th- we bu- we want to invite and center marginalized people because if we don't, then we lose out on connecting with God. Mm-hmm. And that is that is a wound for all of us collectively. Like all of us lose out when we don't center marginalized voices. And uh and I think that, like, well, the way that we've seen that play out is that when, um, I mean, certainly around George Floyd, but even, you know, the five years of Black Lives Matter activism before then was, like, the Black folks in our community get to start this conversation, 
they get to stop this conversation and they get to steer the conversation. Yeah. And um, what I like about centering the the kind of the metaphor of centering marginalized voices is that centering doesn't mean excluding. Right. So it's not you know when we say we're centering black voices, that doesn't mean that non-black voices can't be in the room. It means that black voices get to start, stop, and steer yes. <laughs> the conversation. Yes. And and we want white folks in our community to share. We want white folks in our community to show up and and to speak how God is moving in their lives, of course. And the way that the empire works in society is it's made it a lot easier to hear certain types of voices than others. Yep. And like we're missing out on that Holy Spirit good stuff if we if we don't kind of do a valleys and mountains yep. thing and and try to center marginalized voices. I love that. I love all of that. I love your commitment, but also that, you know, they get to start, stop and steer. And I just notice in myself how I can, um, you know, our church recently became open and affirming and we are the danger and it's great, but the danger is we're exactly that thing that you described that, that no one but straight mm -hmm. people <laughs> preach or, you know, Hey, we've reached that. And so it's like, I, it's yeah. so important for me to hear, all right, you know, because there's always learning, there's always growing, that we've never arrived, yes. you know, and yes. I think we as a community, I'm just now getting very um, sort of, this is about us, but uh, we need coaching in how to do that. Mm. And, and here's why, just because of what you said, because we all lose out when we don't right. hear um, from where right. God is moving among marginalized people. Right. 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 And, and probably most people, some, many people, maybe many Christians could share an experience of where they were in a context where they were being led by people of, 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 of color, indigenous, you know, mm -hmm. and they experienced mm -hmm. something transcendent of God, you know, like they were led in worship by, mm. and mm, like, mm, even mm. if it was on a mm -hmm, missions mm -hmm. trip or something like that, you know, right. God forbid. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, so yeah. why wouldn't we believe that, um, we are really yes. are missing out on God and others when we do not regularly do that. Mm. And I think mm. so many of us, um, white men, even those of us who maybe would say, I don't feel threatened by that. It is threatening. I mean, let's just say it out loud, right? Be, be, because it means giving up a place in the center where maybe I've gotten so used to being on the center of the conversation and the respected voice, the trusted voice. That ooh, you know. So I, I, I want to say that too. Like, right? Like yes. It is, I mean, even if you want that, that that's that's a journey where you're going to need to do your work. You know, right? I'm going to need to do <laughs> that's my exactly, work. You know? yeah, 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 yeah. That's exactly what I was thinking. Like that moment yeah. that you're describing, I, which I'm really glad you're naming this out loud. Like that moment that's like, well, wait, but I kind of like, mm -hmm. like, wait, what do you mean? Like that is the altar to pray oh, at. Like that yeah. is the moment to wrap in spiritual practices. Yes. Like they're like, they're right yep, there. Yep, yep, <laughs> like, yep. And like you got a bite, mm -hmm. like that. This is the time for it. And um, I think that sometimes those thoughts or those conversations are so threatening or scary, or kind of gaming that out is so scary that um, uh, that just almost like evolutionarily, it's like no, I want to preserve my power, yes. and uh, because power is really helpful in a lot of yeah, situations yeah. and. Um, and I think that like the spiritual practice just kind of helps us to unclench and, uh, and believe in a Jesus who's like, I came to bring life abundant yes. and life abundant means that there's not just like one little slice of power and only one person gets it. <laughs> like life abundant means that you're not lessened by centering other marginalized voices. And in fact, all of us are, are better yes. off. And like, that is that requires a leap of faith. Yep. And I love, I love what you said. It like, stay at, that is the altar, right? Stay and stay on there. Because I think the danger is, you know, even for those of us who want to be really thoughtful and move toward that, when you notice that feeling, oh, wait, I like that. 
we we feel shame and we want to get away from that, you know. So okay, no, 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 yeah, no, no, yeah, no. I'll, yeah. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. You know, I'll. I'm I'll one of the good ones. Ugh. Yeah, right. You know, <laughs> like instead of sitting there and going, now wait a minute, this is this is the moment of transformation or potential transformation, but I can't fast forward through this piece. So I love that the altar. That's the altar to pray at. Hundred <laughs> percent. There it is. <laughs> you're you're such. I can just tell. Like you are through and through a pastor. Um, that's it, how you think it's how you, you know, how, how did that identity begin to be formed in you? Or when did you begin to know that? And even if you look back and say, Oh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't upset it then, but I, but I really, that's, that's what was flowing in you then. One of the things that I say in the, um, the planting chapter, which is the second to last chapter, um, is talking about how my marginalization has been like a mini pre-seminary <laughs> to teach me how to plant ministries. Wow. Cause even as from, you know, a cut all the way back to like Tyler in fifth grade weighs 95 pounds, <laughs> and is just, you know, um, and like, uh, like have to figure out where in the lunchroom I'm going to sit. And it was like, okay, I, it is, it is clear to me that there are many tables in this space that I am not allowed to sit in. So I, I'm going to start pulling together my own table. Yeah. And so I kind of looked around and was like, who else doesn't have a table? Okay. And then I started like inviting folks, saw some common interests. We started a whole thing. And then that became like the fun table. Wow. And I just feel like that's kind of the metaphor of like yeah. so much of my life, like in, um, in college, it was like, there's no LGBTQ plus ministry. There's it just, there's no campus ministry where I can be an out gay person. Um, so like, then let's look around and see how many other people are also dissatisfied with that. And maybe we'll just start something. Yeah. And like, uh, same for every time I was abroad, I was always pulling together like Bible studies or conversation groups about spiritual practices and how it relates to our society um, or like kind of geopolitically what's going on. And in all of those, there was this like deep knowledge that uh, if we don't practice Christianity and our faith as a public or um, not uh, as a social, like as an interpersonal uh, practice, then it's it's not really Christianity. Yeah, like yeah. <laughs> there's no like one player version mm -hmm. for Christianity. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. it's always multiplayer. Yeah. And um, and I learned that from necessity, uh, truly. And then and then it just became second nature, and then it became a a, a vocation. So mm. uh, now I plant churches. <laughs> yeah, but I mean that's so that's such a great you know your fifth grade table you know that you were always doing that. You're always gathering people that maybe felt scared or didn't fit or were dissatisfied right. or could see through the system, you know? Right, right, and right. And that's the other thing I think that's fascinating, maybe, I wonder, about gathering and centering marginalized voices is because many times these are the folks that can see through the, the system, you know, and they can call yeah. it out, you know, and... That's and right. We, so I think that's something like that's whereas if you're at the to use the cafeteria uh, metaphor, you know, mm -hmm, if, mm -hmm. if you're at the if you're at the table, the popular kids table, you just that's fine. And that's your plate. OK, but you probably right. are going to be blind to a whole lot of things, you know. Um, right. And so and that's OK. Not even judging that. But then what do you sure. need to learn how to see, you know, Um that's right. right. Yeah. Like if the, if the vision for the kingdom of God really is a global yes. one, like if we're really talking about God's end game being uh, something that encompasses all nations, uh, being at the popular table is just fine. It just means that like, you're going to have to do some work to figure out how you're going to be in relationship with all the other tables. Yes. And, yes. and and that comes from centering marginalized voices. Yes. The, the other thing that I like about centering marginalized voices is right now, um, rightfully so, and, and I think that this is helpful in many regards, um, there's kind of a bifurcated 
anti-racism discourse that's like, this is what to do with white people and this is if you're white, and this is what to do with people of color if you're a person of color. And um, I think that that's helpful because it's just naming dynamics and allows us to not kind of fib around yeah. things. But the pastorally, it's helpful to talk about centering marginalized voices because every person in the room, regardless of who they are, can work on centering marginalized voices. Yeah. So like in um, my book, I, there's a testimony from a black non-binary femme who's disabled, who comes to New City Church, Siobhan. Uh, they contributed a ton of poetry to the book. And Siobhan was like, I realized, uh, Siobhan uh, teaches a poetry course in uh, prisons. Wow. And Siobhan uh, was walking out of the prison after a class and was like, I realized that I my dimension of privilege is that I can walk out of a prison while other people can't. Mm -hmm. And like my work of centering marginalized voices is listening to folks who can't leave the spaces that I can leave Whoa. and I can, and I can meet Jesus Whoa. there. And I, I just think that's powerful because it, um, it shows that this is a lifelong commitment and journey for a hundred percent of humanity. Like this is, this is the journey. And yes, for white folks, it means like, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna have to uh, have some like white specific trainings on like how to relate to people of color. And of course that's there. And uh, in a, even in a, a magic world where all of these anti-racism trainings come to fruition, we will then have to figure out how to center the next marginalized yeah. voice. You yeah. know, like it's, it's constant work until the kingdom of God is here. And, and I think that the, there's a certain freedom in yes. that because it shows that the, the work of discipleship um, is, is not like you're pushing a big rock up a hill and then you'll be done. It's like, it's like you're, you're cultivating land deeper and deeper and more and more. And, and regardless of the season, the cultivation persists. Wow. Um, that, that, is, that is so profound in particular you know, the cultivation is the work of all of us is what I hear Siobhan right. saying, you know, like, I don't get a pass right. <laughs> of centering marginalized right. voices. <laughs> right. And I think that's such a, uh, you know, there is, I mean, I'll just name it among white people like me, there's an anger at the, right. at this idea that now I need to do all this work. And right, I, I, right, I'm, right, I'm, right. I'm just trying to name something right, out loud. Right. I'm not saying it's 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 good at all. I'm just saying like, and you know, now yeah. everyone else gets a pass. Uh, <laughs> right. No, you yeah. know, like number one, do your work no matter what. But but number two, this is we're all cultivators of the ongoing yes. garden, right? Of of yes. of the kingdom. We all carry a a hoe and a, you know, yes, we all, plant we all seeds, have the plow. We all the plow. Jesus called a hundred percent of us to the plow. That's, yeah, disciple, yeah. that's what I hear you call discipleship, you know? And, yeah. um, and I think that's helpful. I just think that's a helpful, aha for me, even Tyler. I mean, that's a helpful, aha, um, yeah. you know, maybe to uncover some of those, well, where's that little prickly defensive voice coming from, you know? Um, Right. And it's like, wherever that voice is coming from, that's the altar. That's the altar. <laughs> like, yes. there's the there's the prayer yeah. site, right? Don't run like, away from that. Yeah. Right. And and I think, like, the permission that it gives is that for folks who have marginalized identities in the community, it also is the invitation to to take up space when previously it's been very unsafe to take up space. Right. So, um, like the muscle, mm -hmm. uh, of like, okay, I'm going to allow myself to be vulnerable, to share this story or to, to trust a certain group of people with my story or mm. to, um, not immediately jump to comfort people who are offended. Like all of that is wow. like a long journey as well. Right. And, and I think that like new city church, we're seeing all of these folks in different part of the different part of the garden kind of trying to like be like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna plant i'm gonna weed i'm gonna hoe i'm gonna <laughs> and i'm gonna start preparing the feast for all of us and like all of that work feeds into 
each other. Like all of that work is dependent on each other. And I think that when we can see that as truly like one project mm-hmm. that is mm-hmm. the kingdom of God, it just makes it feel a little less chore. Yeah. Chory, you know, like, oh man, yeah, now I have to read this book. Yeah. Oh man, now I have to listen to this podcast. Yeah. And it's like, well, <laughs> all of that is in service to the beloved community that God put you on earth to create. Yes. So, <laughs> yeah, yes. there's a certain boldness that becomes available in that. Uh, 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 uh. Um, looking at the time. Do you have like five more minutes, Tyler? Yeah. Oh, heck okay. yeah. Yeah. Let's do um, this. Let me ask some, just a few sort of uh, rapid fire questions, right? Um, <laughs> lightning lightning round. round. Lightning round. That, that, that's the thing I was trying to figure out, but I, I, I couldn't remember the, the phrase. Lightning round. Uh, what, what's your Enneagram number? If you, if you... Seven. Strong yeah. seven. Yeah. Uh, I'm a three. And so the achiever piece. I Bless mean, the yeah, Lord. I, I have to, there's a lot of altar work that I have to do with one of the threes. <laughs> Um, when I knew I was a three, I was like, no, no, I actually wanted to be an eight. I wanted to be an eight. I wanted to my, my, yeah. my energy to be an eight. Cause that feels, you yeah. know, badass yeah. and stuff. No, absolutely yeah. not. Yeah. I don't have nah. an eight bone in my body. I hate confrontation. I, I hate, you know, I will shrink back from a challenge, you know, um, but uh, okay. So seven and then you write, and I agree 100%, uh, in your book, God is non-binary. Say more. Yeah, so that came from a, a very spicy post by Janelle Monet. If you're listening, Janelle Monet, feel free to reach out. Uh, and um, I think that like so much of the conditioning for many of us, including me, actually, in in the early church, in our early church experiences, was like God is only a man, and that's it. God is male, and that 100% has a beard. Is male can only be referred to as male. And uh, I just, (laughs) at New City Church, we've just come to realize like, one, that's not actually biblical. Like there are tons of, tons of images. Can can we just say As it turns, okay, that's the thing I wanted to (laughs) say. And then it was like, I don't know if this is my audience, but I'm glad you said that. Yeah. Um, Like, that's just not it. And, um, And of course, like there are certain things that we access through the metaphor of God as king. That is very helpful. But the Bible also says God uh, is, uh, is like a is like a mother who nurtures us. The God is like a bird and like a tree and like a rock and and like all of these metaphors are so rich. And in a world where we assign a lot of power to men and a lot of patriarchy assigns power to men, perhaps it's it's helpful for us to imagine God in kind of these other biblical images for, to be able to balance that out. And so that's um, how I approach that God is non-binary. 100%, I love it. And I love that explanation. Um, all right. Series that you're enjoying right now on Netflix or Hulu or something, t- you know, t- TV or, or, or media that you're loving to watch. Okay. So have you seen Watchmen? No. It's, I am obsessed with Watchmen. It's ultra violent. Yeah. So like, put on your quentin tarantino lens like like don't bring kids but um and lots of swearing but it's like this like kind of like utopia dystopia of a future oklahoma Mm. of of what happens if oklahoma actually paid racial reparation and like what society would that be like and they're superheroes (laughs) and so like it's like Wow. All the things that I want, like it's super engaging, great action writing, great character development, good story, and I just think like socially it brings up some really cool images. Mm. Okay, Watchmen, that's going on my list immediately. Um, <laughs> you mentioned Howard Thurman. Who are some other uh, heroes that that you look to in in moments like these? Um, certain. I mean, I really. We can't speak enough about Howard Thurman. Um, I uh, am a big fan of Meister Eckhart, big fan of Santa Teresa de Avila. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of, um, I mean, he's still living, so I don't know if this counts, but like Otis Moss III mm-hmm. in Chicago is preaching up a storm. Uh, William Barber, like, um, yeah. Uh, and also just like sometimes, I don't know if you see, saw the movie Harriet, yeah, but yeah, like yep, it's about yep, Harry Tubman, yep. and I just sometimes I just watch that like on repeat. Yeah. 
<laughs> because it's like her relationship with God when she goes to pray at that tree. I was like, this is this is the kind of faith that Fierce. I want to have. So, uh, yeah, and also Hamilton the musical. Okay, so that, love <laughs> that's it. love it all. Eliza's Jesus. Yeah. Okay, okay, that's for another podcast. That's for another podcast. Eliza. Um. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know, like that's the thing is Hamilton going to be, you know, a generation from now, like, oh, even, even glory, even bigger, even better, or is it going to disappear? I mean, that's, that's sort of the big question. And, and I think it's going to, you know, I think a hundred years from now, people are still going to be performing it. You know, that's how good it is. But, um, I mean, least least of which, like, I will be performing it in my living room by myself. So, <laughs> audience of one, everyone. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, shoot. Okay. We. I, I was going to do two more, but forget it. Oh, yeah. Sure. Um, Next time. You okay? So, staying awake, the gospel for change makers, and people can buy this book wherever people buy books. I, I assume, and I, I'm going to put the links in the show notes. But uh, how you know? Yeah, people can buy it wherever. Yep, anywhere they buy books. Right now, it's 20% off at Chalice Press, the the publisher yep. site, ChalicePress.com. Yep. Otherwise, they can find links to it at TylerSit.com for Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Yeah. So that. is that where to go? Like to find other writings that you've done, go to tylersit.com and you're there. And you're there. Okay. Yep. Is, is there I anything mean. else you're working on that you want to let us know about or just any, anything that's sparking joy for you that, that you want to end by telling us? Uh, um, I am part of something called the liberation project, which is a, a round table of United Methodists who are practicing liberation theology in local contexts. Cool. Um, and so, uh, we have monthly roundtables that are really, really fun, but, um, otherwise, uh, check out this really cool author named Steve Weens. <laughs> He's <laughs> amazing by his books. Yes. Oh gosh. Tyler. I, I mean, I'm dead serious. This was so energizing for me to talk to you. Um, you know, on a, Likewise. On a Wednesday afternoon. Uh, so I just, I can't wait to see you again somehow and we'll work out the details when we stop pressing record here, but thank you so much. Thank you so much for your, uh, inspiring, uh, pastoral, deeply theological and joyful and hopeful words and energy. It just comes through so brightly, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it's so necessary these days, um, to have your, spirit and energy so thank you so much my friend i so appreciate that and i'm grateful for you thanks for creating the space hey friends thanks so much for listening to this good word if you love this podcast there's three ways that you can support my work one is by jumping on patreon patreon.com slash this good word you can become a patron at various levels and get lots of good free stuff including free tickets to any live events that i do signed books and other stuff the second way is to share your favorite episodes via twitter and facebook uh, email however it is that you share content let some friends know that you love it and then third is to go on iTunes and leave a rating or a review. So thanks so much, my friends. We are dust and breath. We are limited and limitless. We are human and holy, and we are in it together.